Hey, everyone. Good morning. How are we today? Good? Good. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at the church. So blessed to be with all of you this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and get those out right now. If not, we've got some people coming down the aisles that would love to get a copy of God's Word into your hand. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 11 today. Matthew chapter 11, we're going to be continuing our series called When God Draws Near, and we are looking at accounts throughout the Gospels where Jesus Christ had had interactions, conversations, performed miracles with regular people just like you and like me. And I think about Jesus, and I think about him walking this earth over 2,000 years ago, and, and I wonder sometimes if I were ever to have interacted with him during that time, how I would have responded. Do you ever think about that? Like if you had the opportunity to like meet Jesus back then, like how you would react. And I think about the sort of happenstance interactions I've had with people who were famous or influential or powerful and how I responded in those moments. And usually it's like my mouth gets dry, my palm gets sweaty, I'm like, like losing my train of thought and it's like really kind of scary. I wonder would I have responded to Jesus in that way because he's, you know, he's God. <laughs> You're like, wow, I can't believe it. And maybe, maybe not though. You know, I think throughout the Gospels, we see this picture of a man who was God, but he was so infinitely approachable, you know, so kind, so gracious, so loving, especially to people who were so broken, outcasts, people who didn't deserve that grace and love and mercy. Jesus was so ready and there to give it to him. That's the picture of Jesus I see and so kind and so ready to help people whose faith was faltering and people whose doubt was rising up in their hearts. And that's what we're going to see in this passage in Matthew 11. We're going to see an individual who you would not expect to be struggling with doubt, but, but he's struggling with doubt. And we see how Jesus interacts with him and how he loves him and how he cares with him and how he deals with his doubt. And so let's look at that passage right now, Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. And now when John heard in prison, and now this is not John, Jesus' disciple, this is John the Baptist, okay? John the Baptist. And where is he right now? That's right, he's in prison. He's in prison and he heard about the deeds of the Christ. He sent word by his disciples and said to him, and this question is really important, he asks Jesus, he says, are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? In this moment, he's asking, are you the expected one? Are you the long-awaited Messiah? Or should we look for someone else? Should we take our chips off of you and put them on someone else? Does this sound like a guy who is confident in who Jesus is or someone who is having his doubts? And then Jesus responds in verse 4. He says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk and Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. All right, so here's what's going on right now. John, John the Baptist um, was an extremely important person in the historical timeline leading up to the arrival of Jesus Christ and he was born into this priestly family. Uh, his parents' names were Zechariah and Elizabeth and they were these religious, devoted individuals but like, listen, they were like mega, super, super old, Okay. And it was a miracle that Elizabeth had this baby. It was a total act of God. You know, before John came onto the scene, this angel arrived to Zechariah and he's like, listen up, your wife's gonna be pregnant. And Zechariah's like, no way. And the angel was like, way, it's really gonna happen. And, and 
And so he got like silenced. He couldn't talk for the whole pregnancy. But, he said, but the angel was telling Zechariah, he said, he's going to be a great man of God. He's going to be full of the Holy Spirit from the time he's conceived. He's going to go out and he's going to prepare a way for the Messiah. Many hearts in Israel are going to turn back to the Lord because of your son's ministry. The angel told this to Zechariah. And then Elizabeth gets pregnant with, 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 with John and, and she's this distant relative of Mary. And so she visits Mary, the mother of Jesus. And Mary's pregnant with Jesus and Elizabeth is pregnant with John. And John like leaps in the womb. Not just like a little kick, like if you've ever been pregnant before, you feel that kick. Like, it, like God's word says he leapt, like he, like he jumped, like Michael Jordan, like he jumped. And, and, and it was like this, the Holy Spirit was acknowledging that like Jesus Christ was in the womb next door. He's like, this is, this is awesome. That's the savior of the world over there. You know, like, so pumped. So John was then born and he has this ministry out in the wilderness and he's kind of this weird sort of dude, right? He wears like sackcloth and he's doing this ministry in the Judean wilderness around the Jordan River and he's baptizing people and he's calling people to repentance and he's seeing God work and many people are turning their hearts back to the Lord. And we don't know if John the Baptist had any other interactions with Jesus, if they grew up together, if they went to family reunions, if they had bar mitzvahs together, if they went to Passover together. We don't know any of that. Maybe that happened. But we do have one interaction between John and Jesus. And John's baptizing people and Jesus comes up to the Jordan River and, and he tells John, hey, you need to baptize me. And John's like, no, 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 I'm not even worthy of untying your sandals. You need to baptize me. And Jesus is like, no, John, you need to baptize me. And John's like, this is the savior of the world. I should probably listen to him. And so he baptizes him, right? And then he baptizes Jesus. And when Jesus comes up, this, this amazing, miraculous thing happens. Luke 3.22 and the Holy Spirit descended on him, right, on Jesus, in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Can you believe, can you imagine experiencing that, like being John in the water with Jesus and seeing the triune God, God the Father, hearing his audible voice, seeing the Holy Spirit come down, baptizing the Son of God, like what an amazing encounter with the Lord. They would go on from that place, their separate ways. John would continue his ministry and he would actually get imprisoned for his ministry. One of the rulers of, of, of Israel, one of the Roman rulers, his name was Herod and he was having a, an affair with his brother's sister and John called him out for that and Herod's like, no way, shut up, go to prison. And so he sends him to prison and that's where we find John right now. He's in prison and that's where he's asking this question. He asks that, this is John the Baptist and he asks this question to Jesus. Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Don't you think that's such an unusual question for John to ask? I mean, after everything he's experienced his whole history, I mean, for sure his dad, when he was a kid, was like, John, you won't believe it. This angel came and he, probably, he told me about your, your, your birth and your life and all this stuff. It's amazing. For sure Elizabeth shared the story about when, when, G, when he jumped in the womb, like, and, and, and seeing God move in his ministry and then witnessing the Holy Spirit come down and hear the audible voice of the Lord. I mean, like, he had all these experiences in his backpack and here he is, what is he doing? He's doubting. There's no other way of, of putting it. John, right now, with all that he's experienced, with all that he knows, he's having his doubts right now. Before we go any further in our discussion about doubt, I think it's important that we establish this one fact. It is a very human thing to doubt. It is a very human thing to doubt. 
Have you ever doubted God before? Maybe you've doubted his existence. You, you, you hear about this God who created everything out of nothing, and then you're like, like but how did God get created? Like, where did he begin? And, you know, he's pre-eternally, exist, he, uh, pre-eternally existent, and you're like, mind-boggling concept. Like, my six-year-old daughter asks me that question. How, how was God created? And I'm like, I don't know. Go to bed. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, that this, and, I, and you struggle with that, and it's like, man, like, like, Maybe you've doubted God that way. Maybe it's never been in an extreme way like that. Maybe you've just doubted the goodness of God in your life. Life gets hard and you're like, man, I, I, I can make goodness happen in my life. I'm, I'm doubting God's ability to do that. I doubt that he's going to work all things together for my good. And So you begin to doubt him. Maybe, maybe you, you, you doubt his ability to be enough for you. You, you doubt his ability to satisfy you like, spiritually and emotionally and physically and mentally. You, you doubt that. So you try to find satisfaction in other things because you doubt God's ability to, to be enough for you. Listen, if that's you right now, I, just, I want you to know that I and many others in this room have been in that same exact spot. That it is a very human thing to doubt. It is a very human thing to doubt. And listen, I'm sure there are many opinions on doubt in this room. We all grew up in different backgrounds, different environments, different homes, religious, non-religious. For some of us, we might have grown up in a home where, where doubt was like shamed and you were guilted for doubt. And if you brought doubt to the table, they were like, shut your mouth and repent of that right now. And it was like, okay, and you suppressed that doubt. And You know, is doubt good? Is doubt bad? We'll unpack that more later. But listen, here, here's what I think about doubt. Doubt is not the same thing as unbelief. It's just not. Doubt's not not the same thing as unbelief. Doubt is the natural ebb and flow between faith and unbelief as an individual tries to reconcile what they see, hear, and know about God through his word and the world with what they experience in their lives. That's what doubt is. As imperfect people, as we try to reconcile those things, we are going to encounter doubt. Maybe you grew up in a home that like celebrated doubt and, 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 saw skepticism and cynicism as a virtue. You saw doubt as good. And we'll get to that later, but listen, in all of that, understand that it is a very human thing to doubt, and doubt is not the same thing as unbelief. We are all going to encounter doubt in our lives, and I think in this passage, we see some of the situations in which we encounter doubt and what causes doubt in our lives, even in the strongest and greatest among us. And first of all, we, we see in John's life that one of the things that causes doubt is difficult circumstances. It's one of the things that causes doubt. It's difficult circumstances. I mean, where is John again? John is in prison. And I think as we read God's word, we, we think like, yeah, like prison is this place where noble people go and they suffer righteously. And, and listen, here's the thing about prison. Prison is terrible, There's no other way of putting it. Prison is bad. And John's in prison and it's uncomfortable and he's in chains and he's lonely and I'm sure he's tired and I'm sure he's hungry and he's in a really dark spot and doubt begins to rise up in his heart. And so he has his disciples and he goes to Jesus and he's like, man, I'm in this dark spot. Are you really the one or not? John's encountering an extremely difficult circumstance and we can see doubt rise up in our hearts, in our minds when we go through difficult circumstances. Has that ever happened to you before? You, you, you hit this really difficult season in your life and you just begin to, to wonder and doubt, God, where are you? 
How are you working through this circumstance? What do I need to do to change this and, and mitigate the damage? And You know, what's even worse is when we go through difficult circumstances on our own, isolated, when we're flying solo, and, and, and we take the wheel and, and we say, I'm in control, and, and, and we're not in real, engaging, honest, transparent community. That's when doubt can really begin to take root in our hearts and in our lives. And that's why we place such a strong emphasis on, on gathering together on the weekends and, and, and worshiping together and, and the, during, the, during the week being a part of a small group. Because listen, as human beings, we were not meant to go at it alone. We are, God created us to be communal creatures and so we, we need to exist together in, in, in community. And listen, it's one thing to, to, it's one thing to attend it's another thing to engage, right? It's, it's one thing to show up. It's another thing to give up and actually be known. And listen, I get that that's so, so hard. For me, it's been one of the hardest, most difficult things in my life. See, I'll show up all day. I'll, I'll show up all day long, but, but, but give up the pretenses, give up the facade, be honest, share what's really going on inside here. And that's difficult, don't you think? But, but, but listen, if we don't have that, if we don't have that community, those people, if we're not bringing those things before God in our difficult circumstances, doubt can take root and lead us toward unbelief. Difficult circumstances can cause doubt in our lives. And not just that, we see in John's life that unmet expectations Unmet expectations can lead to doubt. I mean, essentially, to understand John's question in verse 3 is, is to understand his unmet expectations. And we don't have a crystal clear understanding of, of what John's expectations of the Messiah were, only that Jesus was not meeting them. And you know, back then in Israel, many people thought that Jesus was going to be this kingly leader like David, like a warrior type guy, and that he was going to come in and overthrow the oppressive rulers and reestablish Israel to her former glory, and that's not who Jesus was. Some people thought that Jesus was going to be this priestly figure who through customs and traditions would bring Israel to her former glory, and that's not who Jesus was. John preached in the wilderness that this one who was to come would come in a blaze of glory, bringing judgment upon the earth. And listen, Jesus' first time coming to this earth, that's just not what happened. Jesus came with compassion. Jesus came with mercy. Jesus came in meekness and humility, and he defied all of their expectations. He didn't meet their expectations. Has that ever happened to you? You have expectations of what God's going to do in your life and you're in God's word and you're reading and you're praying and you're hoping and you're praying for your marriage and you're praying for God to do something and work in such a way and you expect God to do it because you know who God is and you're praying for maybe your next step in life and where you're gonna go to school or how, where you're gonna go to work or you're praying for your children and you're like, God, do this, I know you can and then he just, he doesn't. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever had an unmet expectation with the Lord. I think about my life and I think about unmet expectations. I think about my first real job out of college. And I think about the excitement about what that was going to be. I got hired to be this worship and small group director at a, 
uh, church plant in Florida. In fact, it was the same place where Pastor Cal went to be the youth pastor. And I was so excited about it and been married for about a year and a half. Uh, Carrie, my wife, was recently pregnant and we were excited to have our first kid down there and it was exciting. We're going across the country and we had these expectations about how God was going to move and we bought a house and we thought it was going to be this great thing. We'd have our first kid there and maybe our second and third and we'd be able to call this place home and God would work in such a mighty way and listen, none of that happened. None of it. I was young, I was 23, I was arrogant, I was prideful, I was kind of a terrible employee. <laughs> and I got let go. I got let go from that job. And it was a really hard season of unmet expectations. You know, if you know anything about the housing market in 2008 to 2009, that's when we bought our house. And we were tens of thousands of dollars underneath our home, and so we had to essentially foreclose on it. And we left that state and we went on to another job. And Here's the thing, in all of that, I saw how God was tangibly taking care of us and providing for us. Every single day, you could see it. It was God moving and God working, but listen, in all of that, my, my pride was just too much. My ego was hurt, and instead of, instead of celebrating and believing in what God was doing, I, I, I took my doubt and I ran toward unbelief, and it led me to a really dark place. Has that ever happened to you before? You had this unmet expectation and you could see how God was working in it, but you were like, no, not today. I, I can't, I can't. And it was just too hard. And so you, you, you allowed your doubt to take you to a place of unbelief. And listen, we talk about doubt and difficult circumstances and unmet expectations. And, and it, it seems like doubt can just be sort of inherently bad. But listen, like I said earlier, doubt isn't inherently bad. It isn't inherently good. And I think our big idea will address sort of the nature of doubt. Listen, the benefit of doubt depends on what I do with it. The benefit, the value that doubt can provide in your life depends on what you do with it. It's not inherently bad or inherently good. You are, you are going to encounter doubt. It is a very human thing to, to doubt, especially through difficult circumstances and unmet expectations. But listen, through all of that, as doubt rises up in your heart, the benefit of doubt, the value of doubt depends on what you do with it. And I think we can do two distinct different things with our doubt that lead to two distinct destinations. And the first thing that we can let doubt do is we can let doubt overtake us. But listen, when I let doubt overtake me, it leads me to a dead end. When I let doubt overtake me, it leads me to a dead end. When I, when I doubt my beliefs and I believe my doubts instead of doubting my doubts and believing my beliefs, it will always, always, always lead me to a dead end. We don't, we don't see this in this passage, but we see it throughout God's word that when an individual or a community or a nation doubts the goodness, the kindness, the provision of God in their lives, it, it, it always takes them to a dead end. You know, we see it at the very beginning with Adam and Eve and, and they had everything they needed in that garden. They were in paradise. They were in perfection. God said this was all very good and then, and then that serpent came along and he planted a seed of doubt in their hearts. And, and what did they do? They, they chose to believe that doubt. And where did it lead them? It led them to a dead end, literally and figuratively, right? Death entered the world through their decision. You know, not only that, we see it in the nation of Israel. Time and time again, God provides for them and he cares for them and he, 
but, but, but they, they always, what, they, they, they did what was right in their own eyes. They, they turned away time and time again, and finally, God let them over to their desires, and, and the nation fractured, and they were taken into exile by their enemies. It led to a dead end. We saw it a little bit last week in the story of the rich young ruler and he thought he had it all together and he goes to Jesus and he expects Jesus to affirm him and, and what, what, what happens? Jesus says, you lack one thing, go and sell everything you own and he walks away depressed, dejected, despondent because his faith was in his possessions and his, his wealth and, and, and that is what was gonna provide for him, not the Lord and, and he doubted Jesus' ability to be his provision, to be enough and he walked away and listen, when I do that, when I allow doubt to overtake me, it always, always, always leads to a dead end. So how do we let doubt overtake us? I think it's as simple as this. We, we, we take our eyes off of the Lord and we place them on ourselves. Our faith is no longer in what God can do for us, but we have placed our faith in ourselves. It's a movement of pride. It's a movement from humility to pride. It's saying, I'm in control. I can do this. I can steer the ship. I am in control. I forget the faithfulness of God in the past to me and, and I look to the future and the fear and the uncertainty of what's to come and I begin to take control and, and that always leads to a dead end. And what do I mean by a dead end? Well, I mean you've got nowhere else to go. And you, you've, you've been taking this down this road for so long but eventually it's going to lead you to this dead end and, and, and sometimes when we're stuck there, all we can think to do is hit the accelerator even more in our own way, in our own pride. And what do we do? We spin our wheels and we get stuck deeper and deeper and deeper. That's what happens. And I know, I know that there are many in this room right now that are in that spot. It doesn't always show up as this big crisis in your life but it can show up in a passiveness in your faith. The fire in your heart for the Lord has gone out. You're just going through the motions because you've let doubt day by day by day by day begin to overtake you. And if that's you right now, I want to encourage you because again, I and I know many others in this room have been there. God's word says this in 2 Timothy 2.13. It says, if we are faithless, if we stray in the night, if, if, we've, if we've failed to put our faith in Jesus, if we've allowed doubt to overtake us, if we are faithless, our God is faithful. He is faithful. Like the prodigal son's dad waiting on the porch for his son to come over that hill and run to him, your God is waiting for you. He is waiting for you because he is faithful. You have a choice to make this morning. You have a decision. Am I going to continue to hold on to and carry and be defined by my doubt and allow my doubt to dictate the narrative of my life or am I going to take my doubts and bring them to Jesus? Because when I bring my doubts to Jesus, he uses them as a doorway to deeper faith. That's what he does. When I bring my doubts to Jesus, he uses them as a doorway to deeper faith. Do you see that this is exactly what John the Baptist is doing? He takes his doubt 
and, 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 he, and, he's, and he's in prison and he's tired and he's hungry and he's alone and he's depressed and he's just wondering, like, is this how everything's going to end? And, and, he, and he brings his doubt to Jesus and he asks that question, are you really the expected one, the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And how does Jesus respond? Look at verse 5. He says, the blind receive their sight and the lame walk and lepers are cleansed and deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. How does Jesus respond to John's question? He, he responds to John with things he already knew. In fact, I think these things that John heard about were the very reason he asked his question. Remember verse 2, it says, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he then asks his question of doubt. And how does Jesus respond? Jesus responds with what? The deeds of the Christ. What is Jesus doing here? Here's what Jesus is doing with John. He's not inviting John into a place of greater certainty. He's not saying to John, no, no, John, no, no, for real, I'm the Messiah, and to prove it, I'm going to open that prison door, and you're going to walk out free. So you know I'm the Messiah. He doesn't invite him to a place of certainty. He's inviting John into a place of deeper faith, to trust him in the prison, to trust him in the hardship, to trust him in his place of doubt. That's what Jesus is inviting John to do. And listen, in the midst of your unmet expectations, in the midst of your difficult circumstances, that's what Jesus is inviting you to. To a place of deeper faith. Not a place of deeper certainty, but a place of deeper faith so that you would trust him. Faith. Faith is not the absence of doubt, but listen, the faith that God can give you is the means to overcome your doubt. God doesn't invite you and doesn't expect you to have a life free of doubt, but he wants you to have a life full of faith. That's what he wants. And I get that some of you right now are like, I'm stuck. I don't know how to get out of where I'm at right now, and I understand that, and I get that. You think, I can't muster up the strength. I can't muster up the faith to do this. And listen, it's not about you mustering up the faith and having the strength. Listen, your faith is only as good as the object that you place it in. And when you place your faith in yourself, man, that's always going to lead to darkness. That's always going to lead to a dead end. But when you place your faith in the one who is worthy of all faith and trust, man, God is going to do amazing things through that because Jesus is worthy of all of our faith. And I can put my faith in Jesus, first of all, because he's not afraid of my doubts. Jesus is just simply not afraid or offended by my doubts. This year, I'm coaching my oldest son's soccer team, a bunch of eight, nine, and 10-year-olds. And listen, it's, it's fun. I love doing it, but it's also extremely frustrating. Here's why. They question everything I do. Why is this the lineup? Why, why, have I not, why, why am I not subbed in yet? Why are you putting that kid in? Why are we doing this drill? We did it last week and it was terrible. Why? Because I'm the adult and I'm in charge, okay? They doubt everything I do. And listen, I've never coached soccer before. This is my first year. They have every right to doubt me. But Jesus, when we bring our doubts to him, he's not offended by them. He's not afraid of our doubts. He's kind and compassionate and he responds, invites us to deeper faith. Listen, Jesus, he knows that if we are humble with our doubts and that we bring them before the truth, that it's always going to lead back to him because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
I can bring my doubts to Jesus because he's not afraid of them. I can place my faith in him also because he is in control of my circumstances. I can place my faith in Jesus because he is in control of my circumstances even when it seems like he isn't. I mean, John, John was in prison and in it was like, God, do you know that I'm here? Do you care that I'm here? I'm stuck in this prison. What? Give me out. Help me out. And maybe you're in a spot where it's like, man, my circumstance is so hard. It's so difficult. I can't believe it. I'm stuck here. I'm praying to get out. Listen, God knows. God knows what you're going through, and he's in control. And just because your circumstances aren't changing, it doesn't mean he loves you any less. He knows where you're at and he's in control and even in the midst of your hardship, even in the midst of your prison right now, he loves you, he cares for you and in that spot right now, if things aren't changing, he's inviting you into a place of deeper faith. He knows it and he's in control. And as we place our faith in those circumstances, what we'll see is that in the midst of all of those things, he will exceed all of our expectations. And we can place our faith in him because he'll exceed our ex expectations. What's interesting about the story of John is that it, it, it doesn't seem like he exceeded his expectations. John never got out of prison. John was beheaded. How, how did Jesus exceed his expectations when his head was rolling on the ground? Well, in that moment, God's word says that when we are absent from the body, we are present with the Lord. And even though it was a hard ending, he met his great and glorious end before the heavenly father. And that is our end that we are looking forward to, that we are aspiring to, that brings us joy and brings us hope. Even when the road is very hard. Jesus said that in verse six. He said, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In essence, what Jesus is saying in that verse is, 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 is happy, fulfilled, joy-filled is the one who even when I don't meet their expectations, even when the circumstances are difficult, they still trust me. You still have faith in me. Because in the midst of the darkest days and the hardest seasons, when we place our faith in Jesus, it will be the most joy-filled road that we could possibly imagine, and he will exceed every single expectation of ours. He will, even when it seems like he's not there. And I think about probably the most shocking moment when Jesus didn't exceed expectations is when he died on that cross. I don't think anyone expected that. And you read through the Gospels and you just see like, how, how could you not see it, guys? Like, this is so obvious and this is so clear. But this is what Jesus is saying and doing, but, but, but no one expected it. And you know, the night before he was uh, killed, he, he was at that dinner, right? That last supper, Passover. And he, guys are probably talking and hanging out. And what did he do? He, he grabbed that bread and he grabbed that cup of wine Maybe he stood up. Maybe he was still sitting. I don't know. And he started talking. And he said to his disciples in that room, he said, this bread is my body, broken for you. And I'm sure the disciples were like, what? Okay. He started eating the bread. And then he took that cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. And they were like, what are you talking about? Your blood. 
This is getting kind of weird, Jesus. Little did they know that the very next day, how important that moment would be. That Jesus would be led into the most horrendous of circumstances and die a criminal's death and be separated from God the Father and experience his wrath for us. And not only that, he would lay down every expectation that he would have had uh, as, as, as God and became not just a human, but a servant and suffered a criminal's death on a cross. And he went through all of that for you, for us. He came to rescue us because we couldn't rescue ourselves. And if you are in a place of doubt, then this moment right now as we approach the the table and as we take these elements and remember what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago, if you are in a place of doubt, then, then, then this moment is for you. This moment is for you as we remember the goodness of God on that cross. The the cross is God's greatest evidence to us that he is working all things together for the good of those that love him. That he will be glorified in all things. The cross is God's greatest display of commitment and love to us. And so in this moment, if you find yourself stuck in a dead end, plagued with doubt and fear and You've allowed that to overtake you. Listen, there's, there's only one way out. It's not by reasoning your way out. It, it, it's not by uh, taking control again. It's, you're just gonna be spinning the wheels if you do that. It's, it's crying out. It's humbling yourself before the Lord. God's word says that when we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. Do you believe that? That is a promise for you in this moment. And so as we take these elements and remember what God has done for us? Would we be confronted by God's mighty love in the cross and would we surrender to him right now? Would we humble ourselves before him and give him our fears, give him our doubts, give him our concerns and and just tell him, God, you are in control and my faith is you and I bring my doubts to you. Would you give me deeper and deeper and deeper faith, God? Let's pray. Lord God, I know how difficult it can be to be stuck, to be hurting, to be plagued with doubt, to be overwhelmed with being stuck and in the dead end. And God, I just, I pray for those who are are really hurting in that moment right now. And I pray that this moment of reflection and remembrance of, of what you've done for us, God, that it would be, God, that it would be life transformational this moment would define our lives in a sense, that we would move forward from this place no longer taking control and no longer placing faith in ourselves and no longer spinning the wheels as we embrace doubt and allow it to define us, but would we give this doubt to you? Would we give our fears to you in this moment? Would we we remember what you've done for us and how you've cared for us and how you've loved loved us in our brokenness, in our hurting, in our pain? You've been so kind We thank you, Jesus, for for all that you've done, for humbling yourself, serving us, and becoming a human and and dying a, a sinner's death on a cross, God. We deserve to be there. You took our place. And God, we are so thankful for that. Forgive us for living in fear. Forgive us for living in doubt. Help us to 
make that turn right now. Humble ourselves and draw near to you because you promise that you will draw near to us. I pray this all in your powerful name, Jesus.